I'm laying down everything I found, every point of separation to get to you, a greater love, the only one, the joy of my salvation. And all we have You grow out of what we lack We are living In your goodness In the promise of what you bring In your presence There is In this place, through your grace, all heaviness is lifted. It's what you do, it's no mistake. Your faithfulness is revealed through your promise, and all. You grow out of what we lack Cause we are living In your goodness In the promise of what you bring In your presence There is feasting There's communion with All honor, all praise is yours. We raise you high and lifted up. All honor, all praise is yours. We raise you high and lifted up. All all praise is yours, we raise you, high and lifted up. We are living in your goodness, in the promise of what presence there is feasting there
Well, hello, Door of Hope. It is so good to be with you this morning. It's been way too long since I've been able to look into your lovely faces, but here we are, and I'm grateful that we get to jump into the scriptures together. I'm really grateful for this text. It is such a beautiful text, so central uh, to all that it is that we believe and hold to tenaciously as Christians. For today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Uh, and this is the great message of righteousness that comes by faith. This is indeed the good news. I want to remind you that we've been working our way through uh, the opening of this letter, and Paul has been turning over one stone after another, revealing that all of us are on the same playing field, that apart from Jesus, we are utterly lost. And he's trying to unravel any attempts to create in our minds the belief, the false belief, that somehow we can save ourselves. Uh, and, and I think it's great to just begin with this really powerful quote from Martin Luther, who said that the paradox is, is that God must destroy in us all illusions of righteousness before he can make us righteous. Everything preceding this text that we're going to look at today is leading up to it. Everything that follows flows from it. This section is the central point of the book of Romans, but also the central point of the Christian experience. And so we're going to begin here in verse 21. In verse 21, Paul begins with the revelation. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Notice that. But now the righteousness of God, that perfect character of God, the perfect demands of God, the moral integrity of God that, that lies over us as a great weight, reminding us that none of us can live up to this moral perfection this holy and perfect and holy other God, now we're told that the righteousness of God comes apart from the law, uh, and it's been revealed. And the revelation is, of course, Jesus himself, that Jesus was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. Remember what Jesus himself said. He goes, listen to the Pharisees and scribes. He said, if you studied the scriptures, if you truly understood the words of Moses, you, know, you would know that he spoke of me. And I think that this is an important reminder that we begin not with human effort, but with God's intervention. I think the church often loses its grip on the gospel of grace by creating this false notion that God is a moral cop policing our behavior. The righteousness of God is an impossibility uh, when it comes to human ability. Our ability to live up to God's holy standards as sinful people, as people that have been infiltrated by this corruption of the image of God, requires a divine intervention. That sin has enslaved us, that we're not nearly as free as we think. And this is why we need God's righteousness to intervene into our lives rather than the righteous requirement that we cannot keep in our own ability or strength. 
the righteousness of God, that moral image that God intended us to display had been corrupted by sin. And now Paul is going to say, listen, because of this, it doesn't matter whether you're a pagan or whether you're a Jew or whether you're some sort of philosophical moralizer, everyone is lost. And now for the good news. The verdict, the problem is none are righteous. And we have been exposed, charged, and condemned. And this is why it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The solution is that the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. This is God's revelation that comes to us in Jesus. It's what we're told in Hebrews chapter 1 when it says that God has spoken at various times and in various ways. That we have a God who is not indifferent to us but is literally perpetually spoken into his creation. A God that is continually putting himself uh, into the human predicament. But this is the final word that has come to us. He has spoken to us at various times in various ways through the, through the scriptures and through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. All that God has to say and continues to say is spoken to us in the revelation of Jesus. This is why we must hold tenaciously to the, to the orthodox vision that Jesus indeed is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him. To say that the righteousness of God has been made known is to say that, say that the means by which God justifies sinners has been manifested. No longer are we held to a standard that we cannot keep. Now we are held to the standard that Jesus has kept for us. It doesn't mean we get to live how we want, and we'll get into that uh, as we move further in, but we are set free by the perfect saving work of Jesus. We cannot add to the work of the cross, nor can we take away from it, but our ability to experience its power requires a daily, a daily uh, surrender, an abiding in Christ, if you will. So he goes on to say, here in verse 22, the revelation is that our ability to be righteous is something that God has accomplished for us through Jesus. And here is the means. He's going to now explain that. Even the righteousness of God through faith, this is verse 22, in Jesus Christ to all and on all who obey. No, that's not what the text says. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Remember what it says in Romans 1.17, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith is the means, Jesus is the object, or even better, Christ is the channel and faith is the condition. And, and I think when we think about these means, we have to understand that, that we are called to put our trust in Christ. And I've often said that faith is a disposition toward God that allows God to be God in and through us. But I want to get ahead of myself because we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But this is something that we need to understand, that the thing that makes us right with God 
is not really a thing at all. It's a person. It's God himself intervening on our behalf, working out our salvation, not only for us, but for the whole world. And that Jesus, as the very object of our faith, as the Spirit reveals the truth of him, for even faith ultimately is a gift from God, there no man or woman, Jesus said, can come to me unless the Father draws him. As the Spirit opens up our understanding to the fact that Jesus is everything that he said he is, we must respond to that drawing. And the response is not something we do, but it's someone that we cast ourselves upon in total and absolute dependence. Jesus is the lifeline that has been thrown to us from God. And the question is, is will we let go of the lie that, that we are holding on to some sort of control over our own lives, our own destiny, our existence, or we let go of that? It's not just let go and let God, it's let go of the lie of what God never intended you to be and grab a hold of Jesus because his hand is reaching out to you. He loves you. He's given himself for you. And this means moves us to the need. Why do we need God to intervene? Well, verse 23 is a, is a summation of everything that we've considered in the previous three chapters. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God here is the standard by which we are measured and no one's life measures up except Jesus. The universal sinfulness of man once again declared. This is why we hold to the vision that one of the aspects of the work of Christ on the cross is penal substitution. That is that he pays the price for our guilt in our place. But there is also another aspect of atonement, which is recapitulation. That is that the first Adam has fallen and sin has entered the world. The representative of the human race failed and the whole human race and all of creation suffers from that failure. But we are told that Jesus is the second Adam. We'll get into that in much greater depth. And this is what this is speaking of is, is, is headship. And that means that one, one is, is chosen to be a representative for many. And Jesus is the representative on our behalf because we are sinful creatures. We cannot save ourselves and we cannot, we cannot earn God's, God's favor through our own efforts. Instead, what we have is a God who is in mercy, graciously intervened into our dilemma and made it his own. Jesus became the one for the many and the many for the one. This is why he is both the judge and the judged in our place. All have sinned. We are all a, as, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a string of zeros. Now, what I always like to say is uh, you, you are not a bigger failure than God already knows that you are. We, if, if Romans shows us anything and any honest observation of our lives, when we re recognize that even as born-again believers empowered by the Spirit, that our lives are marked by mixture, that, that we are, we are uh, continual in perpetual failures on one side, that is, we fail to rise to the, uh, to the character of God, but our dependence and trust in Jesus releases that holiness and that transformative reality in our lives. We have all sinned and we all fall short. This is why sin, that line, that 
that definition that is given to us kind of as an archery um, illustration that, that it's to miss the bullseye. Uh, it's, not, it's not a matter of, uh, of, of how bad you are, it's a matter of how good you're not because it doesn't matter if you're just outside uh, the circle or, or you didn't hit, the, hit anywhere near the target. If you didn't hit the bullseye, you have missed the mark. And the problem is, is that nobody has hit the, hit the bullseye except Jesus himself. The universal sinfulness of, of humanity is declared in this passage. Sin is our only contribution to the gospel. And this has more to do with our condition than our action. Once we have sinned, even once, we have come up short. This is the problem. That's why we don't, we don't measure sin by how, by how bad we are, but by how good we are not. The need, of course, leads us to the gift. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely, and I love this, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As Paul Zoll that writes in his beautiful book, uh, Grace in uh, Grace in Practice, uh, that he declares that humanity has a bottom, bottomless need, that we have a, each one of us have a bottomless need for grace because we have fallen short, because sin is such a fundamental problem, what the Reformation called total depravity. Not that everything you do is totally bad or as bad as it could be. It's just that everything you do has been infiltrated. Every arena of human existence has been has been infiltrated by sin, leaving us not nearly as free as we think. We are more bound than we like to believe. God has intervened into that dilemma. And the good news is that grace comes to us freely. And what's so powerful about grace is that grace is unfair. It comes to us who do not deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Uh, and, and the beauty of, of grace uh, is that it puts all of us on the same playing field. I, I just think that this idea that God is somehow a moral cop policing our behavior is so deeply damaging to the Christian experience. Because if God is a moral cop policing our behavior, we are all without hope. You might meet some people who are more disciplined than others. You might meet some people that live what seems like on the surface a more morally upright life than others. But unless their lives are defined by a deep dependence upon Jesus as the only way, and there is a recognition that nothing can be added to the total and perfect work of the cross, then, then it's all meaningless because our salvation is not measured by what we have done, but by what Christ has done for us. Nothing in us elicited God's gift. It is the outcome of His perfect love, His divine initiative. This is why grace is so outrageous, because it's unfair, because it's offered, it's offered to the greatest sinners who have ever lived, the greatest reprobate, when you think of, when you think of the most horrible individuals in human history, who know whether it's Rasputin or Hitler or just you name it, Stalin, uh, the various serial killers that have plagued our society, God's grace is offered to all. Jesus' work on the cross was for all. Grace always means spontaneous, 
unmerited favor. It is incongruous with the human experience. This is why it's unfair. It, the incongruity in grace is that God gives it to us not because we deserve it, but because it's His nature to love the unlovable. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And I think it's always important for us to remember that we have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I think that this, this word of being justified means being declared right. We are, we are declared righteous, not made righteous. In Christ, this is the declaration of our lives. And we all know, if we were to actually examine our lives, that declaration of a righteousness that is imputed to us from Jesus, I, I'm, I am hard-pressed to believe that anyone uh, can say, because of Jesus' work, I now, everything I do is righteous. I reject the notion of the possibility of moral perfectionism in this side of eternity. Uh, what I do believe, though, is that the, the efficacious work uh, is the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit as we walk in, uh, in dependence upon Christ, doing, living out that simple way of living like anyone who's ever gone through AA, of just one day at a time, one day at a time of, of simple trust. I'm walking with you today, Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, you, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you are declared righteous. The question is, is are you becoming what you have been declared? And this is where the gospel sets us free, but that freedom creates in us, uh, creates in us the possibility of failure, but it also creates in us the possibility of not the ability to do whatever we want, but it's truly a freedom that sets us free to do what is right, to begin to live differently, to make those incremental steps toward a greater awareness of God's presence. What brings transformation to the Christian experience is the, the fundamental, immovable belief that on our worst day, God is crazy about us, but then a yieldedness uh, to Jesus' lordship over every arena of our lives. It doesn't mean that we're, gonna, we're not going to fail, and we will. But the beautiful thing about the gospel of grace is that it doesn't matter what yesterday, what occurred yesterday. Not that we don't have, we pay the consequences for bad decisions, but every day is the possibility of beginning again. And this is a beautiful thing, and it is only because God's salvation comes to us as a gift that flows out of the very nature of His gracious and merciful heart. I, I think, you know, we have to remember too that we have been justified. It comes freely to us, but it costs God His Son. I mean, look at how the grace comes. We need a third party. As sinners, we owe God the debt of eternal punishment and separation. God applies Christ's righteousness, his, penalty, his payment of the penalty in our place to our account. Redemption means complete deliverance by a price that has been paid in full. We love to sing that song, Jesus Paid It All. It speaks of our liberation, of our forgiveness. And this moves us on to the substitute. The gift is God's free grace that comes to us through Jesus. We are justified now, freely, by His grace. 
through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. The substitute is Jesus himself, for it says in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. We're told in, in 1 John that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, uh, that life is in the blood, and that God laid down his life. The author of life tasted death for everyone so that we could live with him. God set forth as a propitiation, a satisfactory sacrifice, a lamb without blemish, which is why John the Baptist himself called Jesus the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, that is in God's patience, he, had, he has passed over the sins that were previously committed. For whom did Jesus die? Jesus died uh, for in obedience to his Father. And, and the triune Godhead, we are told, Jesus died for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Two things make the cross necessary. Justice, that is giving people what they deserve. We want a just world. And we often desire justice in other people's lives. We just don't want it in our own. We want people to pay for the crimes that they have committed, but we don't want to be held accountable to the crimes that we ourselves commit. It's interesting that we all have our thresholds of what is acceptable behavior, but God's but God's guideline, God alone has the right to truly define his own moral uh, reality. And we are made in his image. That is that we are image bearers of him. And our understanding of right and wrong is all a part of that image bearing. And we understand, we know, that's why we don't need to pound into a non-believer's life that they're a sinner. Most people fundamentally understand their own brokenness. They feel the weight and the guilt of existence. Honestly, it was through accumulated guilt and shame in my own life uh, and then the intervention of, of God into my life as I began to read the scriptures and the Spirit began to draw me uh, to Himself that I began to see I deserve judgment. I knew I deserved judgment. I knew. I remember very specifically when I was 18 years old uh, and just really doing pretty spun out on a lot of drugs. And I remember one particular night where I was so high that I just lost grip on reality altogether. And in that experience, I wasn't even a believer the entire experience was a religious one and the entire night was a, was the worst experience of my life because I knew in the depth of my being, I was convinced that I was about to face God and I knew that I could not stand before Him and survive it. And that may have been a bad trip, but it's actually a very real principle that none of us could survive the examination of the holy eye of God apart from the covering of Jesus himself. And I think that this is important for us to understand that God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to demonstrate his righteousness, that he's the one that's righteous, that he is the one that is patient, and that he 
through the sacrifice of the Son, is willing to pass over our sins. They are forgiven. They are forgotten. The debt is paid in full. Sin is not simply our problem. It is God's problem. Justice uh, demands that people get what they deserve. But mercy is not giving people what they deserve. And these two things come together in a powerful reality on the cross. Jesus is able to justify the sinner the sinner through this through the sacrificing of his own life the father can justify us because of the sacrifice of the son without violating his justice for justice has been served by one standing in our place it's replacement theology if you will jesus is the substitute for our crimes he stands in the gap and says i will take the punishment that they deserve and this is god's work on behalf of humanity. The event of the cross itself is a meeting, is meeting the just requirements of the Holy God. To say that Jesus is a propitiation means that he offered himself as a sacrifice that turns God's wrath away from deserving sinners by accepting that judgment upon himself in our place. This is why it says, if we confess our sins in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. Sins have been forgiven, but it isn't until we confess them that we experience the reality of that forgiveness. Unconfessed sin doesn't mean that we're that that we're not. It doesn't mean that we're not forgiven until we speak it out, because there would be no way for us to even speak out all of the things that we do that violate God's holiness. Uh, confession brings us into the light where we experience the freedom that comes through intimacy with the God who loves us and has paid the price for all sins, past, present, and future. What his justice demanded, his love provided. This is such a powerful reality. I love that phrase. What his justice demanded, his love provided. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is the anyone? It's everyone. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, that is the perfect sacrifice on, on our behalf, the one who stands in the gap for our sins, and not only for ours only, but for the whole world. Just in case... Uh, you were wondering, did Jesus really die for the whole world? Well, that's what the scripture declares. And I know there's some that want to try to do some sort of scriptural gymnastics around those texts, but the bottom line is that it goes even beyond the world in the Greek. It speaks of the cosmos, that God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. The outcome then is found in 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our sin transferred to him, his virtue transferred to us. Through the cross of Christ, the Father is satisfied. Through the cross of Christ, the sinner, that is you and I, are justified. This is the beauty of the gospel. So once again, you guys, I am so grateful for this text, and I hope you are too. 
that there is a revelation of God's saving work and that revelation is not something spoken. It is Jesus himself. He is the final word. For the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed. Jesus is the righteous revelation of God. God's answer to the fact that we are unrighteous. There, there is the means that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, no distinction. There is, there is nobody that, that is better off than anyone else. We are all at the same place at the foot of the cross. There is the need. Why do we need God to intervene? Because all have sinned and fall short. We are bound by sin. We are told that we are enslaved by sin and we need someone to set the captives free. That is exactly what Jesus did. There is the gift. The gift is the justification of the sinner that comes freely to us through the grace, the one-way love of God. And this is the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. The bottomless need in each of us finds its satisfaction in the gift that comes from the giver, and the gift is the giver himself. And I love this. There is the substitute, Jesus himself, who on the cross of Calvary is the bloody prophet who proclaims over us those powerful words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, revealing that it is the Father's heart to forgive. And it also means that we have things that we have done that need forgiveness. But when Jesus declared those words, it is finished meant that that forgiveness had been worked out through Jesus being our sin bearer, the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Sin needed to be dealt with. Justice had to be served, but it required the judge taking that judgment into himself so that God could be both just and the justifier of the sinner. And the outcome of that is that to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the reality. This is the outcome. This is the good news. I know it's been hard to spend week after week digging in <laughs> to the reality and the underbelly of why we are so fundamentally broken, why we feel often trapped by our own decisions. And the problem is a, a, a sin problem, but sin isn't something we do, it's something that we are. And this is why we need Jesus so desperately. Thank God he has not left us to our own devices, but he has infiltrated our lives in such a beautiful and powerful way. I pray today that the gospel grabs a hold of each of you, that you would cry out for Jesus and say yes to the yes that he has already declared over you. He has proclaimed that he has been sent to bring salvation to the world, to set the captives free. I pray that you would find freedom in Jesus today as you put your trust in him. On your worst day, God is crazy about you. Don't worry about yesterday. Confess your need for him today and find the freedom that comes through the forgiveness that is already ours in Jesus. Put your trust in him. He loves you. We love you, we miss you guys. Uh, thank you so much for just even tuning in to these messages. I pray that they're meeting you where you're at. 
in this crazy time called Corona. And I truly believe that we will be together soon. It might take a while, but we will be together soon. So until next time, this is Josh. Love you much. simplicity that brings me down to my knees I praise you for eternity Lord I love you because you you first love me it's the beauty of simplicity Fills me with eternity I've tasted your divinity Lord I love you Because you You first love me And all God's people say We We love you We love you Just that I could stay You took my place in death And rose that I could say That you are holy And you alone Deserve my praise And all God's people say We we love you, we love you, Lord, we love you, and we, we love you, we love you.